in John chapter 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, to see my glory, the glory you gave me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be together in this place. Lord, as we dive into your word and we end our devoted series with your mission and your vision for us as followers of you. May you give us the weight of your call on our lives. But may we also know that you are here right beside us to help us every step of the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we wrap up our devoted series, this is our last week of it. If you've missed any of it, you're more than welcome to go on our website, check out the other sermons. But for today, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had really good news, but you had to keep it a secret? How hard was it? How hard was it? I heard a very hard. It was very hard to keep a secret. Now, I know two people in my family. They happen to be married together, married to each other, and they just also happen to be in the building today. That one of them is really good at keeping secrets, and the other one works at the barbershop. <laughs> and so for, for the one, no names mentioned... For the one, it's very easy. You say it to her once, you'll never hear it again. The other one, you walk into the barbershop, you may or may not hear it. But it's really hard to keep secrets. For some people, it's easy to keep secrets. You can keep secrets all day long. Maybe some of you, it's really easy because you forget about it the moment that they stop telling you. So then you just forget about it and you're like, oh, I'm really good at keeping secrets because I don't remember the secret. But others of you, it's really hard, especially if it's like a surprise birthday party, if it's a, um, a special event or something that has to do with someone and you see that someone come and you're like, oh, I got something to tell you. Never mind, I don't. Like, I don't have anything to tell you at all. There's no suspicion here at all. But you want to tell everyone right away, especially when it's really exciting to you. You want to just go and tell everyone. Now, let's be honest. 
some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you probably have that one person or that small group of people that you tell everything to, to get it out of your system. You're like, I know this small group of people is not going to tell anyone, but I'll tell them because I got to get it out of my system before I go and accidentally spill it to the person it's about. Right? So today, I want to tell you one of the best kept secrets in the modern church. One of the best kept secrets in the modern church. Are you ready? No one's ready. Okay, I'll, I'll wait. Ready? All right. Are you sure? Because once I tell you the secret, it may just change your life. The best kept secret, one of the best kept secrets in the modern church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You surprised? Well, it's because you already know the secret, don't you? You already know the story. You've been to Easter. You've been to most Sundays. Like, you know. But they don't. The ones outside. You see, over a billion people in the world claim to be followers of Christ. They claim to be Christian. Yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of the best well-kept secrets in the church. Now, why am I saying that? Two reasons. In 2020, still kind of a fresh study. It was two years ago during the pandemic and everything. But that uh, Lifeway Research down in Nashville asked a lot. I don't know how many. They didn't disclose that or I didn't find it. But they ask Americans who attended church at least one time a month. And so this is often, they, they attend church often. Some churches may even say regularly, one time a month. They ask Americans who attended church, a Christian church, at least once a month. How often do you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone? In the last six months, how many times have you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ? 55% said zero. 24% said once or twice. So what does that mean? 79% of Christians in America rarely, if ever, share the gospel every single, every six-month period. That's a long time span to not be sharing some of the best news that we've ever heard here on earth. And so every six months, 79% of American Christians are doing nothing about what they've heard. Secondly, now I want to give a little disclaimer before I say this one. Because I'm not technically talking all the way to you, but I am at the same time. And I know that's confusing. It'll make sense in a second. I know this because I've heard it from people outside this church, people in this community, people who used to live in the community who don't live in the community anymore, people who have just passed by. This community is unique in that they often ask people and invite people to church. That's what I've heard from people. And so I want to applaud you for that. You're doing good. You're inviting people to church. Invite more people to church. Like, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing because you're doing it good. But inviting someone to church is not the same as sharing the gospel with them. I can invite people to church all day long, but if I never invest in their life and share the gospel with them, they may never change. So yes, we, we invite a lot, and they will hear the gospel. I try to make sure that I include the gospel somewhere in my sermon, so if they come here, they're going to hear the gospel in some way, shape, or form. 
But your friends and your family, they need you to share the gospel with them. They don't need me to share the gospel with them. Half of them don't know me. They don't trust me. They trust you. They know you. They need you to share the gospel with them. But here's the thing that I find all too often in what we call the Bible Belt, which is where we are. And what the Bible Belt means is that we have a church on every corner. If you look on Google, it will say that the population of Pool is less than 200 people. Now, I know, like, there's more than that, probably. But that's just what Google says. If you look it up, you can look on your phone right now. It says less than 200 people. I think last time I looked, it was 189. Population of Pool. We have four churches here. That's the Bible Belt. That, that's what the Bible Belt looks like. Every 200 people, there's at least one church, if not four. Here's the thing here in the Bible Belt. People know who Jesus is. Just about everyone knows who Jesus is, but few know what he's done. Few know how he can change their life. And so it can be really easy around here to just assume that everyone's saved because they're a member of whatever church or that they've been baptized when they were five or six years old and they haven't been to church since then, but they were baptized, so they must be a believer. They're just like doing one of those home ministry things where I'm just going to get all of my stuff from home and, and not go to church. It's easy to assume that everyone's saved, that everyone's heard the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, we saw them get baptized. We saw and we know that they're a member of this church or that church. But I want to tell you, this is something that I mentioned during our worship talk. It's very easy to imitate worship. It's very easy to imitate a true, genuine baptism. It's very easy to imitate and play the church games and come in and everyone think that you're a Christian, but on the inside, you're not. And so... It's so easy to do these things, to watch others get baptized and want to jump into the water too and get baptized because we scream and we shout in here and we're having a great time and you want to be a part of it. So you go and you get baptized, and but nothing changes on the inside. There are, it's very easy to, to lift up your hand in worship. It makes you feel spiritual, but nothing on the inside's changed or moved. See, the reality is, is that your neighbors need to hear the gospel. Your family needs to hear the gospel. Your friends need to hear the gospel. Your coworkers, those people in Walmart, they need to hear the gospel. But also know this, you need to hear the gospel too. You're like, but Logan, I've been saved. I'm good. I was baptized. I've been faithfully following for years. Why do I need to hear the gospel? Well, before I answer that question for you, I want to say that's usually a conversation stopper. Stops the conversation when you bring up Jesus. You know, when you're, when you're trying to share the gospel with someone, the very natural thing to do is say, do you know who Jesus is? And how does those conversations stop? Well, yeah, I, I, go, to, I go to Shady Grove. Yeah, I go to the Pool Missionary Baptist Church. Oh, okay. And we go about you watch the Kentucky game last night? No, there wasn't one. So, right, you just go about your business. But what if we went a little bit further, a little bit more of a forward 
question, but hey, do you go to church anywhere? That's usually how we start to invite people. You go to church anywhere? Well, no. At, well, come, come to Shady Grove. We'd love to have you here. But if they say, yes, I go to such and such church, do you just kind of move on the conversation? What if instead of doing that, instead of moving on the conversation, go a little bit deeper and say, well, how often do you go? Or what's your favorite thing about the church that you attend? Or if you're really, really daring, what was Sunday's message about? Now, disclaimer, if you can't answer those questions, don't ask them. If you don't know, like Wednesday of this week, you're walking up to someone and you're like, I'm going to ask them what they thought about Sunday's message, but you don't know the answer of what this message was about, don't be asking that question. If you aren't comfortable sharing how often you go to church, don't ask that question. If you... uh, Say, what was the other, what's your favorite thing? If you don't have a favorite thing about this church, don't be asking that question. Or at least find something before you ask it. Find something that you really like about it, and then you can ask those questions. So be prepared to answer the questions that you throw at people. But the reality is, is that we can often get to a place to where we feel like we don't need the gospel anymore because we're saved. We already did it. We checked off the box. We're good. But the moment that you stop needing the gospel is when you get to heaven. So while you're still here on earth, you need to hear that you've fallen short. You need to hear that you're broken. You need to hear that you're rebellious, but by the grace of God, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you to take your punishment that you rightfully had because of the sins of your life so that you could be set free from the slavery of your sins and walk an abundant life with Christ. You need to hear that. You need to remember and be reminded constantly where you were when Jesus met you, where you were. Where he saved you from the consequences of your sins. But you also need to focus on where he's taking you next. Where's your next step in Christ? Because your identity in Christ is not who you are with him. or Your identity in Christ is who you are in him and with him not what you messed up without him. Your identity is in Christ with him, not what happened before you had him in your life. And sharing the gospel with others is not just a suggestion, it's a command from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, sharing the gospel is more than just telling the story about uh, what we normally hear on Easter. Jesus lived, he died, and then he rose again. Sharing the gospel is investing in people's lives discipling them and teaching them to obey God's commands. And so since we've been in this devoted series, it's investing in people's lives and teaching them how they can be more devoted to God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says this, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord 
Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Now I want to take a moment and tell you that that's the exact opposite of what our world will tell you to do. They're like, find meaning in this life. Find where, where you have meaning. And that, what that means is that if you have a great car, if you have a nice house, if you give to charity or to a church, often if you make a good amount of money, if you have a family, if you leave a legacy, then you had a meaningful life and you ended your life meaningful. But what Paul and the book of Ecclesiastes will say is that pursuing all of those things is completely worthless and pointless. People will forget you. What makes it meaningful is if you fulfill the call on, that God has for your life. If you fulfill that purpose that God has given you. If you finish the race and you finish the task that God has for you. That Christ gave you the opportunity to live out. But let's be honest with ourselves. If you've really been paying attention to this series, you know all good and well, you fall short. You fall short. So why would God want to choose you to run this race? Why would he choose you to fulfill his mission of sharing the gospel, making disciples, and making the love and the power of God known in this world? You see, that's part of his plan of grace. Using broken people for his glory. When I was thinking about this whole series, and I was starting to dive in and really get through this series myself before uh, you guys heard it. I, I often, and this is, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I like to break the rules sometimes. So I, I was asking God, I was like, how can I preach this? Because what, what's happened, if you've really been paying attention, there's a very high standard of how Christians are supposed to live. Because if we're truly following the example of Jesus, there's a high standard that seems impossible to reach. And I was like, God, how can, I, how can I preach this? Because I can't even reach that standard. No one can reach that standard. How am I supposed to continue to, to drive home the point that you are supposed to be, what Christianity is supposed to look like is what Jesus demonstrated. And I was reminded of a passage in Romans that says, well, for all have fallen short of the glory of God but he still chose me and he still chose you. And then I remember this passage from 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure, meaning the gospel, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we, are who, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us but life is in working you. Now I know if, you, if you're new to church or you've not, you're not that familiar with that passage, it might have seemed like a, a bunch of words and you lost, I lost you somewhere in that. 
Jars of clay are fragile. If you've ever been around a jar of, that's made of clay, they're very fragile. The chances of survival if that jar of clay is dropped for it to not crack, to not have any blemish, and to be completely solid is slim to none. And I should know because I made a ton of them in art. Not because I had to, but because I dropped them a lot. Jars of clay are fragile. And, I, and what Paul does is he compares us, our bodies, to jars of clay. They're fragile. They can be broken. A pastor once said this. He said, to have the power that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and for God to say, I want to take this power, I want to take this story and contain it in a jar of clay, which is the human body, would be like displaying the Mona Lisa in a public restroom. I must take it a step further. In a rundown gas station bathroom, Mona Lisa, one of the most priceless pieces of artwork. We have one of the most priceless pieces of information and the priceless pieces of power that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God chose jars of clay to hold it. What that means is that it doesn't make sense that he chose us. It would make a whole lot more sense if he chose the angels, if he chose the angel Michael, if he chose anyone else or anything else but us. Because some of you have been cracked. You've been dropped. Maybe even thrown down, chipped, broken, shattered by people, by life, by the church, by your own sins. But what I see all, all too often is Christians and non-Christians looking for worldly situations and solutions to cover our brokenness. Because a broken jar of clay will not hold water. Just like a broken cistern coming from the book of Jeremiah, it will not hold water. And I don't care how much flex tape you use or duct tape you use, it will never be completely restored. You might hold it for a little bit, but after time, that flex tape, that duct tape, it will fail. It will come apart. And we try to mend ourselves together with what the world has to offer so that we look really good on the outside. But on the inside, we're broken. The inside, we see all the cracks. We see our mistakes. We see all of the hurt that we've experienced in our life from people and from the church and from all of the situations that life has thrown at us. We're like, we're broken. We're hurting right now. But on the outside, we play the church games and we're like, everything's fine. We're all good. It's, it's okay. God's got this. Some of you, I, I truly believe this. Some of you in here are hurting and you have some deep foundational level cracks in your life and in your soul. And when you truly know the gospel, you know that you don't deserve to have a purpose from God, let alone have unlimited access to him through prayer. But to have this knowledge and this power that you can truly be made new and restored again. 
and to see other people in this world who are broken, who are hurting, and all these broken jars of clay around us in our community, and to look at ourselves and say, well, we've been restored by the love and by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. To have that and to see all this brokenness, that even in ourselves, our own brokenness, our own chips, our own deep scars, our own broken jars of clay that is our life, that Jesus continues to want to pursue us to pursue his mission and his vision of making God known in this world. And knowing that he is the only true one that can truly make us whole again. He can the only one that can truly restore us. Not just cover up all the scars and the brokenness, but to truly heal us. To where we truly die of our old self. We take that old jar of clay and we throw it down, we shatter it, because what also happens is when in that moment, when we get out of the water and we're raised into a new life, what does God do? He's the potter. We're the clay. And so he molds us into something new, something greater than what we used to be without him. And he molds us and he forms us. And that's a difficult process for us because we liked how we looked before. We liked the sin. We liked... The, the way that our cracks gave us some character, right? And so he starts to form us into something new. We know what it was like to be broken. But once you become a Christian, you know what it's like to be made new. To have all this knowledge and all of this power contained in a fragile jar of clay. To know that and to not share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. To do that, and to look around at all the brokenness, and say, ah, they, they'll figure it out. I don't have to share it with them. Those jars of clay that we see in our community and the surrounding communities, they're looking for restoration in their life. And it starts with us. To have all of this knowledge and power and to not be excited to share it with people will always be beyond my understanding. But why are we like that? Why is it that at times we're not that excited to share about church? In certain situations with certain people, we're not that excited to share the gospel. In fact, we very much avoid it. It's because we still need to work on it. We still need to be ever more devoted to sharing the gospel with people. You may not know this, but Generation Z is very suggestive. If you look at any type of generational study, they will give a range of like 20 years of what you might be in and what you might not be. I'm kind of on the line of like late millennial, first Gen Z, somewhere in there. It depends on what study you look at. It depends on what age range you look at. But I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm the awkward person that's just kind of, I'm not a millennial, but I'm not a Gen Z. I'm just there. So, but Generation Z, which I, I claim to be more of that generation anyways, but Generation Z. I, I've seen this so many times. I did a little bit of research and I found this that more and more people were saying this is true. Generation Z 
is more spiritually aware than most generations still alive today. Generation Z is more spiritually aware of things. They're not religious. In fact, they're probably the least religious out of all of us. But they're more spiritually aware of things. But they're looking in the wrong places. I saw this this morning, that uh, an actress that I watched growing up in different Disney movies, different Disney shows, is starting to practice witchcraft. I've seen friends of mine start to turn to those type of things because they're looking for something spiritual and they don't know where to go. And the first thing that they find is what the world offers them. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of the best kept secrets in the modern church. This generation that's coming up, that's going to be leading, they're more spiritually open than if the church doesn't step in and step up and share the gospel with them effectively, then the church will lose not just one generation of people, but generations of people to the enemy. And why do I say generations? Because if we don't reach this generation... They're not going to reach their generation that comes after them. And the generations to follow will continue to be more and more lost. I want you to feel a sense of urgency. I want you to to get over this awkwardness and this fear that you might have with sharing the gospel with someone and just do it. It's worth the little bit of awkwardness and fear to see someone's life changed. But I also know this, hearing all of that, the weight's a little bit too much to put on one church. It's a little bit too much for you. The call is too important. And maybe some of you fear that you're going to mess it up. I'm going to go share the gospel with someone, they're going to reject me, and they're never going to come to the church because of me. And you're scared that you'll mess it up. Well, I want you to know something. That over 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. That you would be receptive to what he taught. That you would be receptive to making him known to the world. That you and your other Christian brothers and sisters would be unified completely. And that you would go and share the gospel. And he prayed this for you. So even when you feel like you'll mess up, when you miss opportunities, when you don't share the gospel as often as you should, when you find yourself struggling to do that. You can always find comfort knowing that your mission and purpose to share the gospel has been prayed over by Jesus himself. Jesus prayed that you would rise up and make disciples to share the gospel and share his love to the world. And so I want to end with the same way that I started with that very prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. 
I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you. And they, meaning Christians, they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. This prayer is for you to make him known. You know him. And how does he continue to make God known? It's through you. So Heavenly Father, mold us to who you want us to be. Lord, let, let some of us in the room, if we feel the need, take this moment and just submit to you and say, Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. I need to stop, tell, I need to stop telling you how you need to make me. Lord, make me how you desire for me to be. Mold me to who you want me to be. Lord, give us the urgency and the passion to become more devoted to you each and every day so that we can share the gospel, so that we can make disciples and teach them how to be devoted to you. Lord, make us more like you every day. Give us the desires of your heart. Use us to further your kingdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.